I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. We really appreciate Bill Kristoff uh, sharing with us last week in what really is was part one of two in this study in the book of Acts. Um, this is part two today. It goes right along with what Bill preached about last week. Last week, you know, it, it, it was... Uh, Here's the, the glories of the church in action. Um, and it, look at chapter 4 in, in the book of Acts, and you see in verse 36, um, all the wonderful things going on, the sharing and the fellowship and all. And, and then verse 36, and Joseph, he highlights this guy Joseph. He, he's better known to us as Barnabas. That Barnabas um, came and he owned a tract of land. He sold it and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Awesome. Wonderful gift. But, and the word but in chapter 5 verse 1 ought to be in like 50 font in your Bibles. Because this is the flip side of the church and its problem. And so I've entitled this message this morning, This Strain of Tragedy and Triumph in the Church. As we get started, I want to ask you this question. What do you think your testimony is like? How do you, how do you think people view your testimony? And it's very important because it's um, a world in Fallon, America that's watching us, that's watching you. And it's really very important, more important than we realize the testimony of our lives. If we are Christians, what's our testimony like? And what's your response to that thought? What's your response? And um, all too often, if it's me, I'll just use me as the example. I, I can tend to think, you know, well, I think I got it okay. And what that leans towards is, I'm really okay. I'm really just fine. And let me be. So there's a lot of things within this passage that we're going to be hopeful. I, I can't touch on all of them. But there's a lot of things involved in this passage. And all Acts chapter 5 is dealing with is here's, here's the flip side of Barnabas. Here's Barnabas. He gave this tract of land. He laid it at the apostles' feet. Period. Done. Great. All right. But a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for, for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing, it, bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And the young men arose, covered him up, 
and after carrying him out, they buried him. And there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they shall carry you out as well. And she fell immediately at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. Heavenly Father, I ask, I humbly ask that you would please guide us in this time. Lord, this is a a sobering passage of Scripture. And uh, you mean, dear Lord, for all of Scripture to have effect upon our on our ears and on our hearts and on our habits. And so please, Lord, please help us in responding to your word in love and obedience, not just filing it away as another message of whatever type. Spirit of God, please move here in our midst. Expose cover-ups and guide us further into your truth so that our testimony might be genuine. Shown that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's, um, I mentioned there's a lot to this passage, and I'm going to do my best to not uh, belabor uh, a lot of extra excess stuff, but um, we want to deal with point number one in your outline. Point number one is the tragedy of sin, and I want to add, in the church. The tragedy of sin in the church. So many of us hear the cry of all sorts of people about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, well, you know, there's just, the church is full of hypocrites, so I don't go. And, And so I, you know, I know some of you know how to respond to that, but others of us are kind of left tongue tied. Uh, well, uh, yeah, okay. And it's, it's a challenge because um, we have the problem. It's all over. It's not just here at Parkside. It's if you were to leave Parkside and go to another church, you could find hypocrisy at any church. It's not, it's not always intended. Sometimes it's, it's by choice that a, a person will be hypocritical. And other times it's just because, you know, we, we get kind of caught. Because I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. But I think the world can use that claim way too much. But we still have to respond in wisdom to the claim or the, the statement you know, and one of the cute ones is, well, join, you know, join the club. 
You know, it's not like you're, you're uh, uh, distant and, and far from being a hypocrite yourself. This is the problem of our sin disease. This is the problem. We, we struggle with, you know, here's these songs that we just sang, the last two songs. You could have sung that by just looking at the words up there and you could have been accused of being hypocritical, right? But we, we, we encourage all of us to say, let's, let's sing with a genuine a sincerity in our hearts, a true love for the Lord and so that it would be real, not phony. So all of this comes with this issue of the, this tragedy of sin in the church. And there's, in this passage, there's three basic problems that pop up. They're true in any church. They're true in any home. And they're true at your workplace. Because it's true, it can be true of you. The problem of sin. So the three basic problems are letter A under number one. Starts with a heart problem. A heart problem. That's what Ananias um, didn't want to really deal with. But he had a heart problem to start with. If you're familiar with what Jesus talked about in the Gospels, mark down, uh, please mark down Mark chapter 7, verse 18 um, through 23. I'm going to read verses 20 through 23. Mark chapter 7, listen to this. That which proceeds, and he's talking to you and me, not just his disciples, he's talking to us. So listen, Jesus is saying this. From out of the heart proceeds... Things that will defile the man. It's not what goes into him that defiles the man. It's what comes out of him that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Aren't you glad you came this morning? What a way to start. It's true. The best person in here, according to you and me, has this problem. Okay? And we do. We kind of look at each other and say, well, so-and-so is really spiritual. But they still have the, the, the problem within because it's the heart disease of sin. And that's what we want to understand here. The problem is a disease of sin in our hearts. It's like a cancer. It's many times it's it's alluded to in the Gospels with leprosy, leprosy, you know, cancer and leprosy. It spreads. It's got damaging consequences for a person. Well, that's the that's what we're to see. That's physical, but we're to see that with spiritual things when it comes to sin, sin in the church. And so. There's a heart problem. And now, let's get this discussed, you know, kind of addressed right away. I don't know. I'm not saying Ananias and Sapphira were believers or not. You, you can, you know, you can wrestle with that. Some people might say right away, no, they were not believers. Well, okay. But we have to wrestle with the text, Okay. And so it, it's not crystal clear that they were or not. We would think they're not believers because they're phony, hypocritical, whatever. 
But we, we all, I just started by saying we, we can all stumble in these same ways. But listen, whether they were Christian or not, the issue is they were deceived and Peter nailed it, didn't he? In verse 3, you look at verse 3 and you see that. Peter nailed it. Peter calls Ananias out. Ananias, I'm sorry. Peter calls Ananias out in verse 3. And what, what is that showing from Peter's heart and concern as a leader, as an apostle in the church? It was his concern for the purity of the church. He didn't just kind of say, well, uh, we'll let that one slide. That's okay. Just don't tell anyone. What is that doing? It's taking what Ananias and Sapphira already did in covering up. And Peter, if he would have done that, would have been covering up the issue even more. And his, so his concern is the issue of purity for the church. And so Peter calls him out in verse 3 there saying, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back some of the price of the land. That would suggest, because of what John tells us, um, he that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. And so we kind of lean towards the idea that, well, I mean, this looks like, here's another example of Judas. Judas filled Satan's heart to betray the Lord. Satan entered his heart. And Judas went off and betrayed the Lord. Well, here's Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart? And this is the thing we, in our day and age, we have to be on the lookout for. How does, how is it that Satan, does Satan attack each and every one of us? That, you know, no, Satan is not omnipresent. But his seeds and his demons are out and about and active. And it's, most of it is done through false teaching. So much of it is done through false teaching. Anything that can counterfeit what God has done, where does that come from? It comes from Satan. It's counterfeit. So that's why we as a church want to stand strong on the idea of not works righteousness in the gospel. You better work to get right with God. No. You can't work enough to get right with God. So it's faith righteousness. There's where our acceptance from God is. Through Christ. Through the person of Christ. That's how you get right with God. If you're here this morning and you're not right with God, the only way to get right with God is to repent of your sins, acknowledge them, confess them, and call out for salvation. The mercy of God. And it says to run... Run to the refuge. Run from the wrath of God. That's the response that you ought to have if you acknowledge the sin in your life. Because Christ is the refuge. And it's all due to His righteousness, His perfect righteousness that He accomplished in how He lived and in how He died. Okay? So... um, In this, in this passage right here in, in chapter 5, verse 3, 
why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? There's a a brief concern here that I would um, address for us all. So what is it that fills your heart? What fills your heart? And... um, you know, I don't think anyone here would, you know, say, I'm going to admit it, Satan fills my heart. But the concern is about what do we believe about the gospel? What does the real deal say? What is the, the truth telling us? And so it's important that we grasp a hold of the truth and, and hold up the word of truth, as Paul says in Philippians. Hold it forth. Hold forth the word of life. Okay? So there's a heart problem. That's where it gets started, okay? And it's the sin within the heart. Jesus said it in Mark chapter 7, in Matthew 15. It it comes from the heart. Which leads to the second problem, letter B, an honesty problem. The heart problems always surface. The heart problems always surface. And what happens? We see... Excuse me. We see that Ananias and Sapphira put together a scheme to make it appear, to make it appear and to pretend, and in essence, what the word hypocrite means, to put on a mask, to put a mask on, to lie to the leadership. Oh, no one will know. We We can look really humble when we come and bring the gift and lay it at the apostles' feet. All those things are behind this scheme. So it wasn't just one little sin of lying. There's a number of things attached to it. And I hope that you see that the evil partnership is there between what? Lying and hypocrisy. It's it's like a one-two punch, so to speak, of sin. It's a a two-fisted cover-up. Do you understand that? It's a cover-up on their part. And really, on top of it all, is a disregard for God. A disregard for God. So, we need to, again, ask ourselves, do I have a habit of lying? Do I, do I lie? The, the, the thing is, I think everyone understands... This is addicting. Lying can be addicting. Because you just, you know, whether it was as a young child or a young, uh, young adult or whatever, you just got in the habit and it, it's real easy to keep on laying on another cover-up. Laying on another cover-up. And it doesn't even have to be verbal. It's just kind of, it ends up being, here's a challenge about our, how, our, how we're living. We live one way on Sundays and another way during the week. That's a cover-up. That's a lie. You're not telling a lie, but you're living a lie. And folks, we, we are called... It, it, this is a confrontation of truth to us. This is not talking about the world. This is talking about the church. So there's a heart problem. There's an honesty problem. And if you have the habit of lying that it's, so, it's kind of easy to lie, you're, you're just going to ask for more and more misery in your life. More and more of it. And so the sooner you confess it, 
the sooner you just, just cut it. Cut it off. Get rid of it. Admit it. The better off you'll be. Repent of that habit. Repent of it. Third little problem that comes from this, this whole scene. There's a heart problem. There's an honesty problem. And then the third one is a hope problem. What do I mean by that? What, what would you say is the testimony of Ananias and Sapphira? How would you summarize that? I don't know if they had much hope once they breathed their last. You get it? <laughs> they breathed their last. What was the last thing they heard? The last thing they heard. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave it at that. That's, that's the testimony. We all equate um, Ananias and Sapphira with uh, Achan. You remember Achan? Joshua? Joshua um, said, hey, we're going in, we're taking Jericho. And don't anyone take anything for yourselves. Leave it. But what did... One, one simple guy, Achan, what did he do? He grabbed some treasure, stuffed it in his satchel or whatever, and then went and... What did he do? He hid it. He covered it up. Then, the next battle. What was the next battle that they had? Oh, just you guys go up to to AI. You can handle them. Boom. They ran into a Mack truck. They got run over in AI. Why? Because sin in the camp. Listen, that's what we want to understand here with this story. There's sin in the camp with Ananias and Sapphira. And thus, here's the concern about testimony. That's why I say letter C, the hope problem. (laughs) Consider the, the consequences here with letter C. Consider the consequences of two lives obviously cut short. They drop dead. Consider now their personal hopes and dreams. Consider your personal hopes and dreams. What are your hopes and dreams in this life? Are you hoping for God's blessing upon it all? You want to do His will? You want to be filled with His Spirit and the Word of God? What's your hope for uh, once you die? Is it clear? Is your hope for once you breathe your last, is it clear what your hope is? Nothing is made crystal clear about these two church attenders, Ananias and Sapphira. But it's a sad final testimony. Listen, God's will for you, we are alive and breathing right now. And God's will for you is, number one, to be saved. And then grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus and have a clear testimony of not knowing all the, all the Bible verses, but of loving Jesus. That's the testimony that you and I are called to have. So what would you say, you know, if you were to write a little article about Ananias and Sapphira, what would you be saying about them and their testimony? 
And, you know, I just said, you know, our, the, the will of God for our lives is to have a, a clear testimony of loving Jesus. So how do you show that? How do we demonstrate loving Jesus in our lives rather than loving treasures like, you know, hey, we, we got extra money coming in because we, we fooled them. You know, like Ananias and Sapphira, we, we fooled them. We've got extra money to go to, you know, go down to Egypt, you know, for vacation. You know, it's great. The best way to show your love for Jesus, you can jot it down. John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who? You better know that. He loves me. You have my commandments, you keep them, he it is that loves me. So much of the Christian life comes back down to this issue. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? And don't just say the words. Examine your heart in it and examine your behavior. What's your behavior like? Is it demonstrating that you love God? We need that. That's what we need. So, that's the tragedy of sin in the church. Be on the lookout for it, not from others, in your own heart. Be examining your own heart. Let's go to point number two on the back of your outline. It's the triumph of God. The triumph of God. And, and it's like, okay, good. We're out of that first point. We love that. Uh, now we really love the triumph of God. You sure? Let's do it. The triumph of God is found in verse 5, the last half of verse 5, and in verse 11. Look at the verses. Here's the triumph of God. Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. There's the triumph of God. It's in verse 11 also. After Sapphira breathed her last, she fell down, and the whole congregation came, the, the fear of God came upon the whole congregation. And so what we want to do is do our best to understand the fear of God here. The fear of God. Um, letter A, it's demonstrated that he is, God is a jealous, God is jealous for his church. Okay? Under letter A, he is jealous for his church. And we've got the example in the Old Testament to start with. He was jealous for Israel. He said that in Exodus 20. He, he declared that in Exodus 34. He said, my name is jealous. So everything about God, he, he is jealous for his people. In Zechariah 1, chapter 14, or I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 14, he says that he is very jealous, exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem. It's his, it's his city. It's his people. It's all about God. He is jealous for his church, though. We see this. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. You keep your, your uh, hand or your marker in Acts chapter 5 and turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is reflecting this very truth about God being jealous. Because Paul, when he won people to Christ, he wanted to present them to Christ. And watch how he um, describes this. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 and 3. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you. Listen to this. I betrothed you to one husband that to Christ, he's the one husband, I might present you, the church, as a pure virgin. Verse 3. But I am afraid lest just like the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from what? The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Okay? Now, there's a huge study that comes from verse 3. And you can go to the Old Testament and see how God often warned his people of spiritual what? Spiritual adultery. Don't you go, Israel, don't you go worship other gods. Don't you go hook up with those other gods. He kept warning them. And what did Israel do? Israel kept falling back to go after and chase after other gods. God is a jealous God. Turn over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. You go to Hebrews and then you hit James. James chapter 4. And James just comes right out and says it in verse 4. James 4 verse 4 says, You adulteresses. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the whole the world of unbelievers. He's talking to believers. He's saying, You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. That's God's jealousy for you, Christian. He loves you with a jealous love. And no one of us comes even close to that kind of love. I, I, I still remember being jealous when a guy showed interest in my girl in college. It's like, eh uh-uh. No. And that was the first time I experienced, I think, real jealousy. Like, don't you get it? Back off. So I punched him out. No, I didn't either. I didn't either. You should have seen mom's expression over here. Okay, sorry. Okay, back on track here. This passage in James is a warning to you, Christian. It's a warning, right? You adulteresses, don't you know? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Okay? Important that we understand this issue, this attribute of God. He is jealous for His church. And then the, the little line there you can fill in under point 2A. The question is, are you, are you His beloved? The scripture um, addresses Christians as Beloved. Okay. To B, letter B, under number two, he will continue to judge his church. Just like he judged Ananias and Sapphira, God did it. You think Peter cried, you know, cried out for God to kill these two? 
Did he? According to the text, we no, no way Peter said anything about, oh, God, kill him. No, God brought the penalty. And it says they breathed their last. And we need to understand God is all... He's almighty. He's all, I truly believe your next breath, my next breath is from God. But we don't think those ways. We think in natural ways. We just think, oh, my hearts, my hearts are fine. You know, physically, I went to see the doctor, blah, 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 all that. But God's upholding all things by the, what? The power of his word. Okay. So, um, there's references here, I, I believe, on, on your outline about uh, the, issue, the ways in which God will continue to judge His church. Matthew 18, it's through believers. If, you've, um, if someone has offended you, you go to them one-on-one. Okay? Then the process there is in Matthew 18. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about how um, the Father will discipline His children just like God disciplines His children. Why? So that you might see His holiness. That's the, the context there in, in Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplines us for our good so we may share in His holiness. Okay? Or share His holiness. Um, a, a very important reference in this issue of God continuing to judge His church is 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It is time for judgment to begin, where? With the house of God. That's how God, you know, if, if something happens here, and we know, wow, this is from God, it starts with God's people, just like in the Old Testament. It started with the nation of Israel. And so now, here in the New Testament, it starts with God's house, the church. Also, and we've been uh, working at and diligent in reminding us at communion time. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11 regarding the Lord's table, taking communion, partaking in a manner worthy, a man must examine himself. First Corinthians 11 says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy way, eats and drinks judgment to himself. Do you think God's kind of just throwing words out there? No, he's, he means business. Why? The church is his. The, he bought it with the blood of Christ. The church belongs to God. It's not Woody's church, Brennan's church, whoever's church. No. A lot of times I know we refer to people's, you know, it's John MacArthur's church or Chuck Swindoll's church. or what. No, it's, it's the church that it, it belongs to God. And that's why we need to take it seriously. So the triumph of God isn't like we maybe initially thought. It's through God being a jealous God. And God judging His church. Why? Because He promised. He promised. Jesus said it. I will what? I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not what? Prevail against it. God's promised it. You're going to question that? He's going to build His church. Are you going to be a part of it? You want to be a part of it? Well, yeah. Duh, I'm here, aren't I? Well, yeah, but it's more than just sitting in a pew. It's being ready to speak truth. 
Speak the gospel. That's the best thing we can learn. The, the gospel truth. How does a man or a woman or a young person get saved? They just uh, join Sunday school? Join Awana? That's how they get saved? Baloney? They just get baptized in the tank? No! That's an expression of what's already happened within. He's been born again to new life. Most all of you here that I know, you've been born again to new life and that's what he wants us to do is live this way now. Not just know it and then cover it up during the week, but live it, know it, love it. Point number three, the triumph of the godly. The triumph of the godly. And this is where um, I could spend another hour on this one point. You know why? It's because what was missing with Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were missing one critical thing. And that was this. The fear of God. The fear of the Lord. That's why they lied. That's why they covered it up. That's why they disregarded God. And so this is the triumph of the godly. Letter A, reverence for his name. Reverence for his name. This is the beautiful truth that rises up out of the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira. The great fear that came over the whole church. And there's a bunch of verses. I think I put that in the outline. References in Proverbs. Look them up today. Highlight them in a special way because this is a special truth. The fear of the Lord. Okay? The fear of the Lord. The one in particular I want to point out, Proverbs uh, 29.25. Proverbs 29.25 is the flip side of it. The fear of man brings a snare. Have ever any of you been snared by like uh, barbed wire out in the field? You've been snared by bar- barbed wire? Uh, that can hurt number one, but also it's really, it trips you up and causes you to fall and you're not ready, all that. That's a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. Let's, let's say it another way. The approval of man brings a snare. The, the popularity that you seek after from people brings a snare. Okay? So remember... Proverbs 29, verse 25 there. The fear of man brings a snare. That's letter A, the reverence of his name. Letter B, we, we also need to understand there's got to be a retention of his truth. The retention of his truth. Attributes of God. Is, is that something that you try to hold on to during the week? During the week, you get blasted with stuff. You get hit with stuff all the time. Are you drawing the attributes of God to your mind during the, the, the little tribulation that you're facing? The, the problems that you face? You're bringing the attributes of God to mind? The retention of truth in your mind. Not just to say, oh, I know that verse and you know, act like a know-it-all. No, but bring the, the truth of God and who He is to mind and then act upon it. You know, say, I'm going to trust God because He is all-knowing. He is all wise. Just a couple of examples, right? So, who God is and what His will is. Okay? Know and recall His attributes. Then what His will is. What is His will? We can talk about it some more. You know, the idea is loving God. 
And not just being able to say, I love God, but love God and start asking Him to help you love Him more. Because not a one of us here, I told this to the high school students this morning, not a one of us here has a perfect love for God. So we just, let's ask Him, Lord, I want to love you more. Okay? And by the way, allow God's Word to confront you. That's not a bad thing. Allow Him to confront you and, and discipline you because that shows He's a loving Father. Hebrews chapter 12. Third one, rehearse His praise. You know what? Uh, we just had a funeral yesterday and Gary Cole, uh, Sandy said that Gary had come to faith in Christ. Um, I didn't know Gary real well, but... Um, you know, figuring he's in heaven with Jesus, first thing he's he's doing, here's praise and humbling himself, just all about Jesus. Are you preparing yourself for your last breath? Heaven is about Jesus. Heaven is about worshiping him, crying out, he is worthy. And right now, you and I have the opportunity to praise him now through all the tough stuff, all the good stuff, Keep on praising Him, folks. Keep on praising Him. Okay? Rehearsal of His praise. Let's make much of God in our lives, right? In our conduct, in our conversation. And then stomp out the the complaining, right? Let's stomp out the complaining. Let's stomp out the belittling of God. That's a big one. You know, we we can, in, in real subtle ways, we can belittle God. Because our minds are really what's, what's driving us, not the Word of God, when we belittle God. Let's not belittle Him. Let's make much of God. Okay? The Christian life is really, like I said before the, the, the last two songs, I, I mentioned the Christian life is really about abiding in Him, continuing in Him. And so if I'm thinking in those ways, if you're thinking in those ways, we're continuing to have true worship. Can you have true worship on Monday? Thursday? Yes, you can. All the time. Be a worshiper. That's what He saved you to do. Be a worshiper and serve Him. Continue to praise Him. Continue in thanksgiving. Continue in joy. Continue in reliance on Him. You see that? It's just all of the aspects of life. Let's continue to turn to Him, not to our complaining spirits. Not to our angry spirits. Not to our depressing spirits. Let's turn to Him and say, How great you are, Lord. You haven't changed one bit. I will trust you. So, we wrap it up with this. Are you living in tragedy and bondage to sin? And again, Ananias and Sapphira didn't like go and and shoot up the whole synagogue. They didn't kill, you know, 20, 50 people, however many they just lied. You see the, the importance of that God places on His church? Okay? And so let's, let's learn of this and learn from this sad, tragic story, right? Regarding, um, I want to, I, I try to do this when I speak, and that is I want to refer you to a very good book. 
and this deals with the problem that Ananias had. When people are big and God is small. It's a great title, isn't it? When people are big and God is small by Ed, Edward Welch. Okay, so mark it down, um, order it, you know, get it and eat it up. Okay. It boils down to this. This little, this kind of a prayer, okay? Just um, right now, just close your eyes and listen to what I, I'm going to read here. I don't even know who the author is. Lord, empty me of the selfishness inside. Every vain ambition and the poison of my pride and any foolish thing my heart holds to. Lord, Empty me of me so I can be filled with you. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we pray that prayer that you would help us in following what your word says to humble ourselves before the almighty hand of God. And you will exalt us in due time. Lord, we need to understand that every day we need your grace. We can't... Uh, we fail when we act like we can rely on ourselves or on other people. We, we truly mess up because we are designed to trust in you, not just on Sundays, but all the time. We're designed to worship you because we tend to worship all sorts of things. So, Lord, please uh, uh, keep us from those kind of sins and help us to be examining our own hearts before you. Help us, Lord, to, to learn more and more to, about lifting you up and making much of you because you are a glorious God. You are an almighty God. And you love us. You love us so much, Lord. But help us to be open to the rebukes and the admonitions of your word for ourselves that you would continue that good work that you began in regeneration, and now in sanctification. Be glorified, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen, amen.